This talk may not be as funny as my usual talks because feminists are not known for their humor. <laughs> Has anyone ever watched Portlandia? It's not on um, Canada, Netflix Canada, unfortunately, but it's, if you've ever seen Saturday Night Live, Fred Armisen, and he plays um, Candace, this feminist who runs the Women and Women First bookstore. Feminist bookstore in Portland is hilarious. So I used to be Fred Armisen when I, in my radical feminist days. I am now a theology of the body feminist. Hear me roar. <laughs> so, again, if at times I sound a little triumphalistic to you, and if you don't know what that means, triumphalistic means um, when Catholics are like, we're the best, we're Catholic, we're number one. It's called triumphalism. Um, if I sound like that, I'm not. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not bragging about being Catholic. It's just that think of me like a convert, not even a revert, even though I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm like a convert because I was searching for the truth for so long. And when I found it, I got so excited and I'm still really excited. It's like it was yesterday. Oh, hi. Um, yes, so I found God in the Catholic Church, I found truth, and then I found theology of the body in the Catholic Church. And if I wasn't Catholic, I would have become Catholic. I would have found my way into the Catholic Church eventually. The Catholic Church is only great because God is great, and this is his church, and we have the fullness of God's revelation in the Catholic Church. That's, it's not, we're so great. It's like, this is all a gift from him. So, and it gets better every day, amen? So let's say this together. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I have my hope in him. So this title sounds like I'm going to give a testimony, right? I am. I'm an American-Canadian, I'm a dual citizen, I have lived in Toronto for a total of 13 years, and my grandmother was French-Canadian, so um, I belong here, I got roots, I got roots. Um, but Americans love celebrities, right? They're like crazy, and Canadians don't. They're like, Canadians are like really humble and understated, and they can't stand hype. That's what I figured out about Canadians, like Americans, they want to know, where's the hype? They'll, like, heat-seeking missiles. Canadians are like, where's the hype? They'll head in the opposite direction. Just don't like hype. So it's very interesting. So sometimes I find Canadians don't like testimonies because it's like, ooh, you're talking about yourself. <laughs> but it's all for the glory of God, all right? Um, so I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, land of philosophical weirdos. I grew up in a Catholic family, and I got dragged to Mass every Sunday and pretty much hated it. I went to public schools, but I had to go to CCD, which was our religious education, one hour a week, and I hated that too. I hated that more than mass because it didn't make any sense. What they were teaching me made no sense. And my real formation happened in the public school system. And I was pretty much formed by my ideas and beliefs and convictions by eighth grade. But thankfully, I got a great education. Massachusetts schools are the tops in the nation. 
And our beautiful little town of Belmont was outstanding. People still move to our town just to get their kids in the school system. Um, when I first started telling my mother about TOB, she thought it was town of Belmont because, <laughs> because we were very active in town politics. Although I got a fantastic liberal arts education, I learned how to think for myself, how to question, how to fact check, how to be intellectually curious and educate, self-educate, I also absorbed the radical feminist rhetoric that was being taught. And it, was all around, it wasn't in my home, it was all around me in the culture and in the media and in school. So like I said, by eighth grade, my beliefs were set and formed and nobody could tell me otherwise. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Abolition of Man, how you're taught these subtle principles in school from your youngest years, and it just becomes part of you. You don't even know to question them because it seems like the bedrock of truth to you. One of the principles I imbibed was, if it doesn't apply to everyone, it doesn't apply to anyone. In other words, everyone has the right to everything. So if somebody doesn't have a particular right, then nobody should have that particular right. Or to be something, to be a particular thing. And this is a gross fallacy, isn't it? Everything is not the same as everything else. Differentiation does not mean automatic inferiority, superiority. It just means that things are different. And if something... Uh, actually is different from something else, aren't we supposed to celebrate diversity? If there's no diversity, then there's nothing to celebrate, right? So, and there's no complementarity either. If things aren't different, then there's no harmony to be created because everything's the same. So by eighth grade, I was a radical feminist. I drank the Kool-Aid. My mother called me her little banner waver. She, she told me later she was so afraid of what I was gonna do in life. <laughs> She didn't know how to talk to me or change me, but she could see the direction I was going in. What is the definition of radical feminism? Well, let's start with feminism. Feminism is not a dirty word. Its basic meaning is the protection and promotion of women, right? Feminism, the protection and promotion of women. And we're always going to need some form of that, right? So feminism is not a bad thing. Um, what do we need to be protected from? Unfortunately, guys, <laughs> the sinful dynamic of male domination and abuse of women that has been an ongoing reality since the Garden of Eden, right? Um, but what you believe about what it means to be a woman and what you believe is the true protection and promotion of women is where feminism breaks out into all different types of feminism. So when someone says today, I'm a feminist, you have to say, well, what does that mean to you, or what kind of a feminist are you? So radical feminism denies that there is any significant difference between the sexes, between men and women, except for a few reproductive body parts. Men and women are identical and should act and be treated identically. Whereas true gender roles I've struggled a long time with that word role, and I'll explain why in a minute. But I've, I'm coming around to accepting that terminology because I can't think of anything better. <laughs> um, and true gender roles, not false ones, 
should proceed forth from the actual gender differences of men and women, body and soul. So if women have babies and give birth and breastfeed, should men be the one taking care of in newborn infants? And not that they shouldn't, dads certainly should be taking care of their kids. But do you know what I'm saying? Like it is natural for a woman to nurture that, continue to nurture that life when it's born, right? Um, this is not prejudice, this is not bigotry, this is not stereotyping, this is just something that's natural to being a woman, body and soul. When we disastrously try to obliterate the very real difference between the sexes, which sex gets obliterated? Male or female? Female, female yes. So the feminists, they didn't intend to do that, but that's exactly what they did. They obliterated the feminine. And we all become men. But not only that, radical feminist ideology laid the groundwork for gender ideology. If there are no differences, no meaningful, significant differences, then genderlessness should become the goal, right? Gender neutrality, gender experimentation, gender fluidity, androgyny, inventing a multiplicity of genders and gender descriptions and designations. But gender ideology is not scientific. I'm going to say that again. It's, it, and, and people say, what do you mean by scientific? Well, there are psychological issues with gender identity, so that's scientific. But a lot of the gender ideology that says there's more than two genders, for example, more than two human genders, that's not scientific. It's not what science finds. So you can't be believe in science and gender ideology at the same time. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. Either you believe what science says, or you believe in all kinds of either made-up stuff or gender confusion issues that people are having, very real gender confusion issues that people are having. Does that make sense? So you can't believe in, in both at the same time. Gender ideology is not the same as gender dysphoria, where people are actually experiencing this phenomenon. But it, it can come about um, as a result of gender dysphoria. You can try to turn your gender dysphoria into an ideology that applies to everyone. So Pope Francis said very beautifully, accompany the trans person. He says, but do not buy into gender ideology, the explanations of this, um, or force it upon children teach them gender ideology. So he's very concerned about this. He knows it's being taught in the schools, and he's very concerned. Has anyone been following Dr. Jordan Peterson at University of Toronto? So he, he's a um, psychology professor, and he refuses to use pronouns, certain pronouns like Z, zoo. He refuses to call a single person them. And they haven't fired him yet, right? Right? Have they fired him yet? No. No. Um, and he's willing to dialogue and debate, and he's a super respectful person, right? He is not a hater or whatever. And, but he's saying something very chilling. Um, and I usually don't share it with people because I'm trying to establish, first of all, we were talking about this before I started talking. Um, does the Catholic Church love science? Yes. Oh, yeah, we love science. Because all science does is show us how amazing God made everything and how it works. That's what science does. Now, how you apply science with this knowledge that you have, that's a whole other ballgame. 
That's where ethics comes in, right? Ethics and bioethics and all of that. But science itself, discovering this amazing world and how it works, we love science because we, we do faith and reason, right, as Catholics. And some of the greatest scientists that ever lived were Catholics and some of the greatest scientific discoveries. How many people know that the Big Bang was posited by a priest? <laughs> a lot of people, I was, I, I'm teaching TOB, Theology of the Body at Ryerson right now, Tuesday evenings. They're all science and tech majors, you know. They didn't know. None of them had ever heard of Father Georges Lemaitre, Belgian priest, friend of Einstein, who, I have a nice picture of him. I put, I put a picture up, I said, who's this guy? And one of the guys goes, a fine-looking man, <laughs> which he, he was. And in like 1933, he first presented his scientific paper on the Big Bang Theory. And Einstein was in the audience, and he stood up and he clapped, and he said, that is the most beautiful explanation, and I think it's true of the, our universe that I've ever heard. Turned out to be true. Two other things that he predicted came true. Um, he said, someday we will be able to hear the radiation, the background radiation from the Big Bang. They didn't have the instruments at the time, and they did. And the, set, the third thing was that the universe is expanding and not compressing or whatever, contracting. Um, and that turned out to be true as well. So we need to be really grounded in that, that we love science. Fundamental Christians do not. So don't listen to fundamentalist Christians who are suspicious of science and um, they think that faith has to be irrational. They really do. Faith has to be irrational for it to be faith. We don't believe that. Okay. Read JP2's Fetus at Ratio, Faith and Reason. My favorite encyclical, believe it or not, all his stuff. Okay. <coughs> so what Dr. Jordan Peterson, you can follow him on Twitter at Jordan B. Peterson, S-O-N. Um, he said, because he, he understands what's going on with all with all this, this gender ideology, what's going on with it. And he said, they're coming for you next, biologists. What do you think he meant by that? What? Right, sociology is already being um, explained away, like a new narrative. So I think he was on CTV, Jordan Peterson, um, debating, and you could see it already happening because gender ideologists realized that science does not agree with them. And so they're entering the scientific fields or silencing scientists now and reinterpreting the entire history of science and scientific discoveries and medicine and everything saying, actually, we've always known that there were many genders. It's just the Christians that suppressed this and twisted it into just ma the binary, right? Male and female. So. I like to get people grounded in understanding that we love science and then to understand how chilling this is, that that's the last bastion. The Catholics in science, we're the last bastions that are standing up for reality and they're, they're going to, we'll see what, what science does with that, if they're going to fight back or not. Um, okay. So how did radical feminism play out in my life? In different ways. First of all, I was totally planning to leave the church as soon as I turned 18, in great part because of what I believed was its shoddy treatment of women. I believed the Catholic Church was the enemy of women, wanted us barefoot and pregnant to sit down and shut up. 
I thought it had draconic and oppressive teachings and views of women. I thought the Bible and the church taught that women were inferior to men. And I thought that the, it was the world and the culture that was upholding women's rights and women's equality with men. I believed in contraception, sex before marriage, marriage having nothing to do with children, women priests, and if in my day gay marriage had been a thing, I would have believed in that too. Now, I was attracted to men, but I had written them off as wanting only one thing. Um, I, I, had just, I had saw men through that radical feminist lens. And not only that, deep down, I believed men really hated us and wanted to hurt us. I could see little inklings of that around me. Um, even though I had good men in my life too, but when, you, when, you're, when you've bought into an ideology, you're blinded, right? You can't see straight. Now, this is not why I became a nun, <laughs> by the way. It, it was a separate track, right? We have all these parallel tracks in our lives, right? This is going on and that's going on, and um, God called me, and that's why I became a nun. Because they wouldn't have let me become a nun if I was a man-hater, trust me. <laughs> if they knew, if they kind of knew I was a man-hater, right? Um, so you're probably wondering, okay, so how the heck did she become a nun and a daughter of St. Paul, a congregation that's very traditional, strives to be faithful to the magisterium. Um, we want to spread the teachings of the church and the word of God through the media. Good question. I'm going to condense my story and cover a lot of ground here, but suffice it to say these seven things, these seven steps. Jesus spoke to me from the Blessed Sacrament. He spoke to me. I heard him. Number two, I was thus forced to believe that the Catholic Church was his church. Three, I was also forced to believe, with exactly zero understanding, that the Catholic Church was right about women and a lot of other stuff, and I was wrong. Four, Jesus called me to be a nun exactly four days later, after meeting him in the Blessed Sacrament. No moss grows under his sandals. Number five, I fought him for two years. I didn't discern, I fought. <laughs> and I finally surrendered. Number six, he made it clear he wanted me to be a daughter of St. Paul and carry out this spiritual mission, the spiritual works of mercy, and help people in spiritual pain. When you don't know God, you're in spiritual pain. We know about psychological pain, emotional pain, physical pain. There's something called spiritual pain. If you don't know why, you're alive. You're in spiritual pain. If you don't know that life is, we're going somewhere. There's a journey, and there's life after life. Our goal is heaven. If you don't know that, you're in spiritual pain. And if you today, in this, this world that we're living in, don't know theology of the body, you are in spiritual pain, I promise you. Amen? Amen. Woo! So, so I highly encourage you guys to just keep studying it, keep learning about it. Um, it, it just things make sense. It's like a relief. And then you start to see the beauty in, in the world God created. Um, and then you live it. You live that beauty. So there I was in the convent, all dressed up like a nun doll. <laughs> this is postulant Helena. But inside of there was a radical feminist mindset. 
It was the only framework I had to work from. It's not like I had been this good little Christian and then I chucked it and became a radical feminist. I was never a good little Christian. I just had this radical feminist beliefs for my youngest years. <coughs> Imagine the cognitive dissonance. Imagine, that's a radical feminist right there. Imagine the cognitive dissonance. How can you be at peace in the Catholic Church if you believe your church is oppressing you, if you think you're being denied something, you know what the answer is? You can't, <laughs> okay? You will not have peace. You're gonna be like hanging on by your fingernails. Oh, well, someday they'll let us be priests or something, or um, someday the church will allow contraception or abortion or whatever it is that women think they need and don't have. And, um, and right now what's happening is we have an exodus of young women from the church for this very reason. So the sisters of my congregation were very wise and they knew that a majority of the young women entering were very poorly catechized. So the first thing they did was teach us our faith from the ground up. They just covered all the groundwork in depth, at length, but it was like my despised CCD classes. Because even though I believed now, it still didn't make any sense to me. It was still a bunch of random, unrelated truths that just didn't tie together with any kind of a key or a vision um, or comprehensive glue. And the individual reasonings behind all of these doctrines made even less sense to me. And like, I'm, I'm intelligent. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I don't understand. It was like, it just doesn't make sense. I know what you're saying, but it still does not make sense to me. And it doesn't, it's not related to this or that or other truth of the faith. So when people would come into our Catholic bookstores, our Pauline Book and Media Centers, and someone would ask me a question about the faith, I'd go, oh, here, read the book. It's in there. Because I, I don't know. I can't help you. I can't explain it. So I began my philosophical and theological search in the convent in earnest. As the years progressed, I studied theology and philosophy and read like a fiend. I, I had read like a fiend all my life anyway. And, you know, human beings are programmed to know the truth when we hear it. Did you know that? We should be, we should be surprised when people get it wrong because our minds are made for truth, right? So... We know when we're not there yet. We know when this isn't it. So we keep searching. And everything I studied, theology, philosophy, um, I liked philosophy a lot better than theology because at least it made sense. Um, but I knew I hadn't found it yet, so I kept searching and searching and reading and reading. I got addicted to books. Oh my gosh, you should see how many books I have. Um, <laughs> you now you can get them used and people give you gifts and we get free books from publishers, right? Because we're a bookstore. But it, nothing was satisfying. I didn't even see myself as a bride of Christ because I didn't believe in the differences of the sexes. So I saw myself as a generic servant of God, a little worker, God's good little worker. And I enjoyed living in my head too, you know, just um, I was on this search, but I also loved living in my head for many reasons, including the fact that I was dealing with autoimmune, other chronic illnesses, and I really believed that my soul was the real me. And my body was just some piece of I don't know what. 
Um, I believe that the soul was good and higher and holier and special um, and the body was low and dirty and animalistic and lesser and tainted and bad and kind of sinful. And I truly believed with the Gnostics and the Manichaeans and the Jansenists and the pagans that my body was a prison. It was a shell. It was a container that I'm kind of trapped in and I was looking forward to uh, death because then I would be released from my body and float around forever um, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Um, for me, the resurrection of the body was a metaphor and I completely ignored it, swept it under the rug. And if it was going to come back, then it was going to be some tack-on, some add-on that I would drag with me into eternity, but it still wasn't really me. It still wasn't essentially me. I am my soul. I am only the spiritual part of me, which you know is wrong, right? <laughs> Make sure we understand that is absolutely wrong. We are, we are as much our body as we are our soul. And it was actually Ratzinger, the future Pope Benedict, who was the first person that started talking about theology of the body to me and started a little chink in my armor. So he said, we don't have bodies, we are bodies. And I knew exactly what he was saying and I hated it. And it took me about two years to sit with that thought that I am my body. I don't have a body, I am a body. Um, but that was actually the beginning of my theology of the body conversion, and it grew stronger and stronger. It's still ongoing, I'm still converting, right? <laughs> it just, it never ends. Um, and that one has taken over my whole life, in a good way. So there were many subtle and not so subtle steps along the way to the re-education of my radical feminism and so I like to call myself a theology of the body feminist, so there's no doubt in your mind as to what I believe. Oh, what kind of feminist are you? I'm a theology of the body feminist, which means that I believe in the complementariness of the sexes. In theology of the body, all differences are a call to communion. All differences are a call to communion, not to competition, not to that sinful slave-master dynamic. One has to be better than the other if one of them is different. Can you see if we apply theology of the body to race relations, international relations, all differences are called to communion, to putting together uh, what one doesn't have, the other has? I'm going to share with you four milestones of my ongoing theology of the body conversion. And actually, I don't need labels anymore. I don't have to call myself a feminist. But sometimes it helps. I'm, I'm just a woman. <laughs> now, now I know what that means. And you better treat me like one. <laughs> um, yes, so first milestone. Um, Dr. John Meehan, he founded Magdalene College in New Hampshire. It's now called St. Mary Magdalene. Um, he's this funny, holy Irish Bostonian. And when I went to Magdalene College with some of my sisters, and we were studying a lot of philosophy, and he could tell there was something wrong with me. <laughs> he could See, I, I was asking all the feminist questions, and my sisters thought I was playing devil's advocate. They didn't know I meant it. And he could tell I meant it. So 
He said, would you like me to do a mini course on Mulieris Dignitatem, on the dignity and vocation of women, John Paul II's encyclical? And we all said yes. And I thought this guy was a misogynist, so I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with this. So as the, the mini course progressed, he could tell I wasn't making a lot of progress. And finally, at the end of the class, he said to me, just be the woman you are. Just be what you are. Because I had asked him, I said, so what do you think the role, that word role, the role of women is? And he said, I don't, I don't like that word role, because it implies the stage, like you're putting something false on, an act that's not natural to you. I was like, whoa, I guess he's not a misogynist. <laughs> Good answer, right? Um, so when he said to me, be the woman that you are, just be a woman, I knew I had some work to do because I didn't know what that meant. I said, well, we're just humans, right? We're all the same. Men and women, we're humans. We're the same. I was like, no. <laughs> no, we're not. So John Paul II, in his, uh, his Mulieris Dignitatem, coined the term feminine genius. It's not in Theology of the Body. It's in On the Dignity and Vocation of Women. And women all the world over did fist bumps and said, yeah, feminine genius. What is it? <laughs> so, of course, you have to read the whole thing and you have to read Theology of the Body. But he does outline a few things. Um, he says this includes, it's not limited to these gifts, these feminine gifts. But as you look at them, they're not exclusively feminine, right? We don't want to say that empathy is a feminine gift. But women have a, a way of empathizing that's very unique. Um, men experience empathy too as men, right? So guys, emotions are not feminine. Emotions are human and we experience them as the man or woman that we are. And I think we've, we've been guilty, sometimes women have been guilty of feminizing certain virtues. So men are like, oh, I don't, I don't wanna be empathetic because that's what women do. <laughs> that's for the women. It's like, no, no. Men grieve, do men grieve? Yes, but they grieve as men. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that, the fact that emotions are human, and there's this crazy idea that men, we, we teach them from when they're little, you're not supposed to feel emotion or show emotion or share emotion with anyone, that you're experiencing emotion. And this is really damaging to men. So I, there's a movement called the art of manliness. Anyone heard of that? It's like, you, you're going to have manly emotions. These are going to be expressed in a manly way, okay? I would say it's like, um, it's like not using your arms and legs because men and women have them too, right? Okay. So everything we do, we do as either men or women. Now, some of these gifts, I felt them in me, but the radical feminist culture and even some of the men around me when I tried to express them, I was taught that I was fickle, overly emotional, and emotions are bad. I was weak. I was silly, foolish, um, irrational, all of these things. I said, oh, oh, these are bad. These are bad things. So I can learn to suppress them and be more like a man, which I thought was being more like a human, not realizing there was a difference. Does that make sense? But if everybody did this, we would have international peace, right? 
These are not small gifts. And sometimes women don't value our own gifts. Sometimes I think we have to put names to our gifts too because women have very subtle gifts. Men have very external, ostentatious gifts that can be named and seen. And, and there's a reason for that too. Um, but these are not small gifts. And if women don't value their gifts, do you think men are? If women don't use their gifts, do you think men are going to use them in a feminine way? No, no, they are not. Women will always try to use men's gifts. But trust me, ladies, men are not going to try to use our gifts in a feminine way. Okay. The second step in my conversion was what I call um, Father Dave and the Dragon story. So a priest friend of ours, uh, he was at our retreat house, and he was preaching one of our retreats, and he said, you know, you sisters are really lucky. He said, you're brides of Christ, which I didn't accept. Um, he said, and, you know, you really feel that bridal relationship with Jesus. He said, you come to me in confession and spiritual direction, and you talk about Jesus as your spouse. He said, I don't quite have that as a man. He said, so I think of myself as the buddy in the foxhole who will take the bullet for Jesus. And I remember thinking, ooh, <laughs> like, I get to be the bride, and he gets the bullet. Like, there's something wrong with this imagery, right? This is not fair. It's not the same, right? So I was just getting into Theology of the Body at this point, and I met Christopher West, who is Mr. Theology of the Body, if you don't know who he is, Christopher West. And I asked him about this, and he said, well, sister, we're, we're really all the bride of Christ, but you don't have to push the imagery too far. He always tells men you don't have to put a white dress on when you go to heaven, even though the whole church is the bride of Christ. He said just marriage is the best, most intimate communion we know on this earth. So this is marriage is the, the image that God keeps giving us over and over for the way that he loves us. So I went back to Father Dave. I said, oh, I'm going to tell him he can get rid of this horrible image of being the buddy in the foxhole taking the bullet because we're all going to be fulfilled in our sexuality in heaven. We're all going to be married in heaven. And Father Dave already knew the theology of the body. And he said, sister, we can talk all we want about male-female differences. The point is we love differently. He said, we want to take that bullet for Jesus. And I was looking at him like, I have no idea what you're talking about. My whole like feminist structure inside was like crumbling. And I was like, men really are different. They really are different from us. And I said, Father, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and he said, Sister, why do you think we watch movies like Band of Brothers? We want to see how far that guy is going to go for his family and his country and his buddies. He goes, we want to be that guy. I was like, Father. <laughs> I was coming up empty. And I said, Father, I have never wanted to fight a dragon in my life. If there's a dragon out there, someone else is going to have to go and fight it for me. And Sister Anne said, and I'm going to cook it. <laughs> from New Orleans it's all about the food so, so I said Father I want to serve too I want to lay down my life but not like that and it was like wow and he said we love differently I thought we were generic human beings and we, everybody just love is love is right love is love is love is love is love no it's not no it's not do you love your dog the same way you love your brother or sister? Do you love your mother the same way you love your wife? 
No, it's different depending on your relation, depending on who you are and what your relationship is to that person. We cover the five different types of love, um, eros, philia, agape. There's one, storge, and there's eros, and there's another one that's companionship, where you're not emotionally involved like a colleague. And then Father Loya and the sketches. This is the other part of my journey. Um, Father Loya is a Byzantine priest, and he was one of my, I was so blessed to be living in Chicago where he lives, and he was one of my mentors, my theology of the body mentors. And he ran our study group for three years um, on TOB. So I went to this thing called the National Forum on Theology of the Body. Um, it's actually theologyofthebody.net. It's like one-stop shopping, theology of the body. And he's an artist. He was a commercial artist before he became a priest. Now he does icons. And he started sketching this. First he did the man. He was doing these angular lines. And he said, what am I, what am I drawing? What is this? Little by little it came to shape. Now this is a little too hulkish. <laughs> this, this is a little, like, very few guys look like this unless they're taking steroids or something. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't know. Um, the, the woman's side is a little more normal looking. Um, and he said, the design of something shows you what it's meant for. So simple, right? But my radical feminist stuff d d didn't say that. It was just spiritual. It's all what you think. It's all what you want it to be. It's all in your head. It's nothing verifiable. If you try to start to verify things, you get a different answer. You get a different story, right? And I remember thinking, I believe in science. <laughs> He's right. He's absolutely right. The design of something, men's women's are designed for men's bodies, like actually very different when you stop and think about it. And when we do, I do a whole day of masculinity and femininity in my courses. Um, the differences are immense. We have different bone structures. We have different muscle. We have a different need for iron. Um, we have heart attacks differently. We have strokes differently. We recover from concussions differently because our bodies, even though they have those same body parts, arms and legs, they're really different. <laughs> they're very different. And we're starting to learn more about that because they used to do most of their you know, ethical human experiments on men. They figured men and women have hearts, so we'll do all the stress tests on men. And then they realized, no, women's hearts are very different from men's hearts. So. Thank God, we're learning sports medicine. Why do we have men's health magazine? Why don't we just have human's health magazine? And it's not just about sexual matters either, right? It's about a lot of other stuff because we're so different. Okay, so my, again, my mind was, my brain was exploding when, and then he started to draw circles. What, what am I drawing now? It's softer, it's rounder. Oh my gosh. And then he went into, um, into a lot more explanation that I won't get into here. But as he was speaking, he talked about how men image God's transcendence and women, this is also in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, by the way, number 239, you can check it out, number 239, Catechism of the Catholic Church, women image God's imminence. Okay, two different ways to be a body, two different ways to be in the image of God, two different ways to reflect God. And I said to myself, this is what the feminists want to hear. Now, he wasn't even talking about fertility at this point. 
which in, in a sense is a false dichotomy. We love to talk about ourselves without ever talking about our fertility, but that's, that's a part and parcel of who we are. We can't shut that off. We can't uh, act like we're uh, androgynous or asexual or those Barbie and Ken dolls, just molded plastic, you know. Um, so anyway, he, he, he totally won me over with this. And, but I said, this is what the feminists want to hear. They want to hear that they are in the image of God by themselves without talking instantly about motherhood, right? Um, we want to know how we as women image God, right? Do you hear people talking about that? How women uniquely image God? If we're made in the image of God too, and we are, how do we image God? There's a whole, there's a whole lot to that in theology of the body. Now, it, again, it was just, and he, he wasn't talking about fertility on the male end or the female end. And just for a moment, it's like, okay, I'm in the image of God as a woman, perfectly in the image of God by myself, reflecting God as a woman in a unique way. Women need to hear this, right? Okay. But we don't want to separate uh, our fertility ever from our being, from who we are. That is our glory as human beings. So when anything matures or ripens or reaches adulthood, what does it do? When anything is fully mature, what does it do? Bears fruit, gives back, gives life in some way. I do it through spiritual motherhood. Father, se seminarian, are you a seminarian? What's your name, Father? Uh, seminarian Gray. So, sorry, Seminarian Gray. <laughs> he will be doing it through spiritual fatherhood, right? Um, so I asked this question recently, and I said, what does anything do when it matures? And the mom said, it leaves home. And I said, and then what? She goes, and then it moves back in. <laughs> okay. Um, there's an excellent book. Jeanette's reading it. By Father Loy. It's only available as a download, a PDF, um, explaining why the priesthood is a, is a male thing. Um, how it's part of how men reflect God. Um, but it'll tell you a lot about male spirituality at the same time. Because all men are priests, right? Just by nature. They're priests in their families. Um, and then, uh, since John Paul II never did on the dignity and vocation of men, he never really outlined the masculine genius beyond what he put in Theology of the Body, the textbook, or he also did Guardian of the Redeemer, on St. Joseph, but he never set out to explicitly explain the masculine genius. So a priest in Cleveland has done it, and if you give me your email, I will. he's allowing me to send it out to people free until he gets it published. So, yeah. So it's called Viri Dignitatem, on the dignity and vocation of men. There's also a wonderful um, set of CDs by Christopher West called Woman, God's Masterpiece. You will never be the same after listening to that. So John Paul II gave me permission to be a woman. Because the world was not allowing me that. The culture wasn't allowing me that. And even some of the men around me, again, oh, you're so emotional, oh, you're so foolish, you're so fickle, you're so whatever, all those, those adjectives I gave you. Um, but JP II said, no, that's good. Do it, do it. So whenever you cry, ladies, 
That's your feminine genius. Go. Your tears are your feminine genius. Do it. Go for it. It's not weakness, right? It's not a sign of weakness. Um, it's receptivity. We women have this gift of receptivity. Men have it too in their own way, but it's more natural for us. And we have it naturally, our bodies. Our bodies are open vessels, right? We are open to the world. Our cycles go by the moon. We're open to men. Our bodies are open to men. They're open to children, to life all around us. Um, and receptivity, it's vulnerable, but it's not weakness. The Trinity itself is vulnerable and open. And it's, it's part of what makes us human. If we're not receptive, how can you receive a gift? How can you communicate if you're not open and receptive, right? Okay. So I started, it was, it was hard. I started listening to my feminine voices, my feminine instincts, and when they bubbled up, I didn't push them down. I let them come up. But it was all because of this man. Ladies, this man is your friend. He is your friend, and he tells you that it's good to be a woman. Can I get an A woman? <laughs> All right. Do you know that he declared, I am the feminist pope? Did you know that? He did, and he truly was. There's a woman, Dr. Deborah Savage, at uh, St. Thomas University in St. Paul, Minnesota, and she is doing a lot of work on the masculine genius also. Um, and I just think it's so cool that a guy outlined the feminine genius and there's women and father <laughs> outlining the masculine genius. Sometimes I think we can appreciate each other better. Like sometimes we're too close to our own gifts and who we are and it takes somebody objective to look at that. I, I want to recommend to you on Netflix there is a um, documentary called The Mask You Live In. And it's about some of the false ideas today of being a man. Now, we all know the false ideas about what it means to be a woman. That's kind of out there. Um, women are used for their beauty. Women are used for their bodies. And it's just an ongoing thing, right? Even with feminism, has it gotten much better? <laughs> Not really. It's gotten worse in some ways. Um, but sometimes we don't understand the pain and the pressures that men are in and under. And this was life-changing, watching this documentary, The Mask You Live In. And they talked to a lot of men and men's groups and whatnot. And in some ways, I think it's worse than what women are under, these false ideas of masculinity, men having to prove that they're men every day of their lives. Like, what is up with that? you got to cut that out, guys. Um, we women, we admire a lot of things like your camaraderie. We don't have what you have. You guys stick together, like, through thick and thin and right and wrong, you know, like, you've seen it happen, right, ladies? They just, like, circle the wagons and start defending each other, and no guy is ever wrong, right? Um, we, we don't have that. We have our, like, little wine and cheese book clubs. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. Um, so there's a lot of things we need to learn from men and, and do learn from men, and obviously we know women are always trying to be like men and do whatever men do, but there's a few things guys need to learn from us, too. And one of them is stop making each other prove that you're men all the time. This is so stupid. It's like these poor guys, they're, you know, physically roughed up all the time. And it's never, no, being a man is a given. 
you're a man. You just live that out, and it's gonna look different on different men. You don't have to keep proving that you're a man. And stop defining yourselves as not a woman, okay? Because it sets guys up. What's the worst insult? Like a little girl, or you're being a little girl, right? And it sets men from their youngest years up. It's like, that's the worst thing in the world, being a girl, right? Women are bad, women are inferior. It's like, no, stop defining yourselves as not a girl and stop making each other prove that you're men. Do women do that? Come on, Diana, show me that you're a woman. Prove it, right now. Yeah, Yeah, it could be nine months. (laughs) We don't do that to each other, right? And also that men should never have, feel, or express emotions. And then we wonder why men explode in anger and violence all the time. Anyway, watch this film, um, The Mask You Live In. Okay, so, bishops, priests, men, and women. Oh, we don't have any bishops here. And no priests yet. (laughs) That one's upstairs. Um, Okay, you never, ever, 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 ever have to be ashamed or apologetic about the church's teaching on women. Okay? It is the only teaching in the world that fully upholds women's dignity. True dignity. Why? Why is it the only entity in the world that fully upholds women's full, true dignity? The answer is so simple, you're going to laugh. It's so pathetically simple. But I want to hear it from you. Because of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He's God. He made woman. He loves woman. And he came down himself and restored woman's equal dignity with man. Only he could do it, right? And this is his church. So we're just living what Jesus gave us and what Jesus did. But like it seemed to me, it often seems like the exact opposite, right? That the church is somehow keeping women down and it's the world that wants women to fully develop their gifts or something. The fact that the Catholic Church gets women right should be on the tip of our tongues. So we need to stop listening to the culture telling us that the Catholic Church is an outdated, patriarchal, purely human institution that oppresses women. The exact opposite is true. Satan's favorite thing is if he can take the truth and turn it around to the exact opposite and make the lie the truth and the truth the lie, right? Can we even go around saying that the church is patriarchal? Can we? No, because it's only one part of the church. It's one kind of spiritual power and authority, but the church is also matriarchal. There's a matriarchal power and authority. The church herself is feminine, bride, mother, um, And we have this beautiful balance of masculine and feminine in God's divinely constituted church. Jesus set up the constitution of the church while he was on earth. It's not something Christians, oh, how are we going to organize ourselves? Um, You know, later had to like make all this stuff up. No, it was all instituted by Christ when he was here, including the sacraments. Now, whether we live this beautiful masculine feminine balance out well is another story but it is built right into our church. 
even when we live it badly, it's still there. So once I switched from radical feminism to theology of the body feminism, I was going to get rid of my radical feminist radar, okay? So I used to check everything out through my radical feminist radar to see how this is just like, it's just something to oppress women, right? Because radical feminists, they think that everything in the world is set up to oppress women, okay? Um, even shiny stuff like theology of the body, it's just a new way to oppress women, okay? It's the same old, same old. But then I decided, no, once, once I got more and more into theology of the body, became a theology of the body feminist, I said, I'm not going to chuck my feminist radar. I'm going to recalibrate it from a rad, <laughs> rad fem rad to just a fem rad, because feminism is good, right? What is feminism? Two things, PP, protection and promotion of women. So that's a good thing. So I run everything through my feminist radar to make sure it's still good and approved, right? Because we see even trends of like, did, did feminism do some good things for us? Yes, it did through the ages, yeah. But then it went off track. So we don't want to lose the good things, right, that feminism has done for us. So I always still run things through my feminist radar, make sure it's good for women. And let me tell you, theology of the body is really good for women. Okay. So, and I know it's easier for women to say what I'm saying and have people accept it. So we ladies have to step up to the softball plate, right? We have to be the ones to say what I'm saying. If a man tries to say what I'm saying, eh, gonna listen to him? I don't know. Um, it should be that anyone can speak the truth, but unfortunately, we like to hear it from um, one of our own, <laughs> right, sometimes. So I asked Jesus, when I first gave this talk, what he wanted me to tell the ladies. And he said, tell them I'm the bridegroom. So ladies, whether you're married or not, or engaged or not, you have to go to Jesus first. Let him tell you how beautiful you are. Let him tell you how desirable you are, how, how much he loves you. He doesn't mind if you cry. He doesn't mind how much you talk. Chatter away. Okay, he loves it. He loves women because he made us like this. He loves all the stuff about women. Then go to your earthling guy if you have one. Uh, but don't expect him to be God for you. Okay, he's going to do his best, but he's not God. And we women, because we have that receptivity, we are insatiable. We are never satisfied, right? And the poor guys in our lives, they try so hard. And, and, but we, because we ultimately have this capacity for the divine, for infinity, right? We're just, we're, so do men, but women are just more in touch with it, right? And so the kitchen is never exactly the way we, we just renovated it, but it's not exactly what we wanted, right? It's never satisfied. Okay. All right, so thank you guys. Thanks for trying, but now you know the secret. That doesn't mean you get off the hook for trying, <laughs> but now you know one of the secrets. Okay, so uh, women of God, please stand. Okay, that's all of you because you all belong to him. Are you willing to befriend women, young and old, who are wounded by a culture that rejects womanhood? and motherhood and does violence to women body and soul and convinces women to hate themselves and hate their bodies the bodies that they are to hurt themselves and to do violence to their femininity are you willing to befriend them and reach out yes. that's what i think this group is about right 
Um, are you willing to embrace your own femininity? To study, learn, love, and live the theology of the body? To embrace your feminine identity in Christ and help other women do the same? Thank you. You may be seated. Men of God, give them a hand. Okay. All right. So this is my preachy section right here. Permission to preach? Thank you. Okay, so these are not times for cowering in the corner, are they? Our young people are literally dying because of our silence. So we need to get ourselves, our friends, our families trained up in the ways of the Lord. That is theology of the body. Um, a confused Christian is a timid Christian. An ignorant Christian is a silent Christian. And we can't afford silence today. So just open your mouth. God will do the rest. We don't want to argue with people. We don't want to debate the truth and charity. We, we want to help people, right? Our founder, any Italians here? Our founder used to say, Fate a tutti la carita della verità. Do not give, do to all the charity of the truth. Capital T, capital V. Okay, so we are not hurting people. We're, we're doing them a favor. We're, we're helping them. But again, it has to be the t right timing. You don't just blurt the truth out when somebody can't hear it. You know, timing. And, and, um, and we have to be friends with someone before we can say certain things, right? Um, Father Grishal, who was this wonderful priest, uh, Franciscan priest, used to say, if you don't really love someone, don't even talk to them because you're just going to hurt them, right? So he said, you have to love somebody before you even open your mouth to try to tell them the truth about something. But the truth in charity, like the Bible says. So don't you hate it when people withhold the truth from you? How many people hate that? It's like, you, even your friends sometimes, well, I thought you wouldn't want it. It's like, I'd like to know. Please, please tell me the truth. I want to know, even if it hurts, even if it's, you know, the awful truth. Like, I can handle it. Like, we can handle it. Um... So, as Isaiah says, God's word will not return to him void. So, we're just planting seeds. We're not going to get success right away, necessarily. We're not going to see the fruits. But if you just open your mouth. God will do the rest. Something will kick in at the right time when it's supposed to. Pray, discern how you're supposed to say something, when you're supposed to say something. Sometimes it can just be uh, being with someone. But if we're wondering how to help women today, we can start with like a book. Give them a book. Give them a podcast. Um, WomenMadeNew.com. It's like the beginning of healing for women. It's Jason Everett's wife, Crystalita Everett, has this great website, WomenMadeNew.com. God's going to use it, and we have to start somewhere because you really have to give Planned Parenthood the credit, right? They're out there. They are evangelizing, right? They have like, have you ever seen some of their videos? They are, the production values, I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? Um, so our young people, especially, are smart, right? They're smart. They can get this stuff. Um, even if their first reaction is to reject it and get angry and scream, they've been trained. They've been conditioned to do that. They think everybody's a hater, like me with my radical feminism. All men are trying to oppress me, right? Um, so I believe that even though our young people are very, very confused today, God is giving them grace commensurate with what they're up against. Amen?
So every, every generation, God is pouring out the grace that's sufficient, that's needed. But we have to help God like, by opening our mouths and, and starting something and sparking something. So did you ever think of it this way? People have a right to the truth. People have a right to theology of the body. If you're a Catholic, the church has had theology of the body for 30 years now. Why is, and people always say to me when they come to my courses, they start saying, why isn't this in the schools? Why aren't they teaching? Why, why isn't this everywhere? Why aren't we hearing it from the pulpit? Like, this is, this is it. This is the answer. This is the comprehensive vision that ties all the truths of the faith together. Jesus and Mary are the theology of the body. It's the incarnation, baby. That's where it all starts. Otherwise, the body is kind of meaningless and who knows and useless and who knows, who even knows what the body is. Jesus taught us how important the body is. If he became man, that means that our bodies can interface with the divine. Because if they couldn't, he couldn't become man. How about that? Penn and Teller, do you know those guys? They're Las Vegas uh, magicians. And um, Penn, he's he's the big guy, right? One's little, one's big. So there's a video of him, check it out online, and he talks about this guy that came up to him after a show and handed him a Bible with an inscription. And he's almost crying, Penn's an atheist, he's like a proactive, uh, proselytizing atheist. And he said, he kept saying, that was a good man. He says, I know he wasn't just trying to convert me, whatever. He looked in my eyes. We had a good chat. And I think he really cared about me. He just kept saying, that was a good man. That was a good man. And he gave me this Bible. And he said, if you really believe that, you know, I could go to hell, that there is a hell and I could go there, how much do you have to hate me to not try to to bring me over to what you think is the light or what you think is going to help me? It's, it's very moving. Okay. Father Grishel used to say, those who laugh at you today or scream at you today may pray with you tomorrow. So you're just going to see through, the, through whatever's happening in the moment. And if you're afraid, well, I don't know very much theology of the body. Well, I, trust me, you know more than millions of people out there. Already you know more from what you've just heard tonight if this is your first introduction. Okay. Um, Okay, and this is just a word on contraception and why, um, without getting into all the harmful physical, spiritual, and relational side effects, the four predictions of Paul VI about what would happen if contraception took hold in society um, happened. We're not even going to get into those, but I want to make this theology of the body feminist point about contraception. Contraception is the opposite of women's liberation. And again, it sounds, it sounds counterintuitive, right? Like, but of course, that frees women up from pregnancy because it's pregnancy that keeps women down, it's children. With contraception, every day is like every other day. Women's cycles are completely ignored. Women become men because only men can get pregnant, can have <laughs> the exact opposite. Only men can have sex and never get pregnant, right? And then it feeds into the lie that women are available 24-7. That is the lie of porn, prostitution, and male domination. And also a twisted Christianity. Okay? Okay, so our last 
TOB crew that we had. There was, do you see the Russian guy in the back? This big tall guy. He came only once. He was walking back and forth all the time. <laughs> and his teenage daughter with him. And then he comes up to me and goes, where is book by a Jewish doctor woman that I had mentioned? And I showed him and he goes, I am Russian Jew. I said, oh, did you have like a conversion in your family, in your life? He looked at me like, conversion? He goes, baptism. Baptism. I was like, okay, okay, great. <laughs> and he, he pulled this book out that it's a brand new book that we just started carrying on the recommendation of a, someone that we trusted. He said, this is not a good book. And it was for men. <laughs> it was called Every Man's Challenge or something. And I said, oh, why isn't it a good book? He said, because. It says if a man, if husband using porn, woman has to do everything man says, like that he sees in the porn and then try to imitate it for him. Because if she doesn't, he is he go back to porn and her fault, her sin. I said, Ugh, yeah, we don't want that book. So I grabbed the book. And, <laughs> and he goes, I used to think that until Theology of Body. He's, he's gone to the Theology of Body Institute. And he said, I, I learned that's not right. <laughs> woman doesn't have to do everything man says. It's like, okay, so twisted Christianity. There are twisted Christians that take Bible passages and don't understand what they're saying, that the woman has to submit to the husband and everything, and all that stuff. Okay. And again, you will learn what that really means if you take my course. Okay. Um, yes, so. Did you ever think of this? With natural family planning, every day is not like every other day. It all depends on her. It all depends on her cycle. With NFP, men are beholden to women's cycles, and she is too. Women have cycles like Mother Nature has cycles, right? There are the seasons. Mother Church has cycles, liturgical cycles. It's not always Christmas and Easter. There is Lent and Advent. There is fall and winter, right? Um, so there's, there's more of an appreciation John Paul II said women pay more for their sexuality. We have the lion's share of sexuality, right? He gets it. He gets it, ladies. Women pay more for their sexuality. So is that a burden or a privilege? Or a little bit of both sometimes, right? Yes. Um, so there are governments and organizations of so-called first world countries going into developing countries, handing out contraception to women, without requiring anything of the men, without teaching men anything, without calling men to anything, without requiring men to change their behavior. And then they'll say, well, we can't change their culture, but you're already changing it with contraception. So why not advocate for positive change that is proven good results for families, good results, it's good for the environment, it's healthy for the woman, the pill is a class one carcinogen, if you didn't know that, claimed so by the World Health Organization, not the Catholic Church, <laughs> we've known that for years. Um, so natural family planning is the true betterment, it's slower, it takes more time, um, but it's the true proven betterment of families, marriages, children, etc. Okay. And whatever is truly good for women will be truly good for men and vice versa. Amen? Because we're in this together. We can't do this alone. I read a, a well-known Catholic periodical recently, and they dedicated a whole issue to a theology of women. I don't know about you. I'm a little sick of hearing about women all the time. Who here is a little bit sick 
of like, oh, here we go again. Okay. Um, <laughs> a retired archbishop wrote in the next uh, um, issue and said, I think we need a theology of men. We haven't heard a darn thing about that, right? Um, and it had some good ideas, but there was something wrong with the issue. And then I realized they were doing this in a vacuum. It was women talking to women about women. There was no mention of husbands in, in any, any of the articles, hardly, just me and my kids or whatever. There was no mention of men. It was like, what? Seriously? You think you can fix society like women alone, doing this alone? Okay. So, JP2 says that we exist in relationship. We cannot do anything alone. We, we exist in relationship. This is what John Paul II would also call an adequate anthropology. Anthropology meaning the study of man. He said man meaning men and women. He said we have been working for a long time off an inadequate anthropology. So he set out to create this adequate anthropology. Here's something else to think about. And I, I, I shocked the Ryerson students by saying this. I said, male and female is not biology. What? Like, think about it. How, how, how old is biology? Oh, 500 years old. Yeah, well, male and female has been around a long, lot longer than that. So male and female is reality. It's revelation. It's theology. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. It's theology. It's reality. It's not just biology. Okay. Um, so who's ready for some theology of the body, feminism, truth bombs? Are you ready? Can you handle the truth? Can you? Okay. I'm not going to read these. I'm going to let you read them. Sorry, people in audio land. I'll read them. The language of Christianity is the body. When the meaning of sexual symbols is undone, the Christian faith is undone. These are from various sources. Gender ideology, with its explicit rejection of the world as God created it, is as hostile to humanity and Christianity as the brutal totalitarian ideologies of the 20th century. Wow. We are body persons. The human body is always objective and subjective at the same time. By the way, guys are really good at objective truth, and women are really good at subjective truth, and we need both. We must always consider the human body under both aspects together. Woman is the force in the world who stands as the bulwark against everything in this utilitarian era that threatens to reduce the person to a thing, unless she becomes like a man. Not that men automatically reduce persons to things, but again, you'd have to come to my course to, to, to flesh that out. And that's the problem today. We, women are becoming like men, like bad men. There's a whole, I do a whole thing on that too. Um, we, we could have imitated good men, <laughs> right? But so many women choose to imitate bad men. And then who is speaking up for the human person, especially the most vulnerable, right? Okay. I think we skipped one, didn't we? Yes. Men have insight into things. Women have intuition into persons. We need both. 
We need both so badly. Men are experts at objective truth. Oh, I just said that. Women are experts at subjective truth. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Women, not men, are entrusted with the new person in a special way. Again, this isn't to say that men aren't called to protect babies and all that, but men don't get pregnant. God had it, has it so that women get pregnant because he's entrusting. He doesn't call them babies. He calls them new persons. See, I'm very philosophical. I couldn't have had babies, but I could have had new persons. <laughs> I, could, I could do that. No man can be the father of God, but a woman can be the mother of God. Wow. And yet men are called to look at God the Father and God the Son and go, I have to imitate them. <laughs> right? Right? Wow, what a, what a big bill to fill there. What a vocation there. Right? So again, this isn't like, women are better than men. Look at how amazing women are. No. This is just different, right? This, this is our true vocation. This is who we really are. To reveal his maternal face, God didn't choose a feminine title, but a human mother. Okay. Um, we're going to skip some of these. The woman is life. The man's job is to protect life. Does anybody know who hired Joseph Campbell? Who in Hollywood hired Joseph Campbell? Star Wars. Okay. So, Joseph Campbell, may he rest in peace, fallen away Catholic, was the world's, he still is, the world's foremost authority on the world's religions and myths. And George Lucas, genius that he is, said, hired him. He said, I want you to plant archetypes in the first Star Wars. He said, so that this is going to like crawl in deep inside people's brains and then, and they're not going to be able to let go, and they're going to obsess over this story because it's so deep and profound. Okay, so he, and he did. Joseph Campbell put the hero's journey, you know, embedded it into Star Wars characters and, and, and plots. And when they asked him at the end of his life what, how he would sum up everything he ever learned by all his studies, this is what he came up with. Isn't that amazing? Women don't need to be lusting after male authority, power, gifts, influence, and mission. Women have their own female authority, powers, gifts, influence, and mission. When I'm talking online with feminists, this stops them dead in their tracks. They're like, what? Because they think there's only one way to be human. They think there's just a generic human, this is what I always thought, right? There's a generic human way to be. And they don't realize what they're talking about is the male paradigm. They've adopted the male paradigm as the only good paradigm, as the truly human paradigm, as the better paradigm. It's not better, it's just a different way of being. It's the male way of being. We have our own way of being. Okay. So feminine authority and the feminine genius is whatever is natural to being a woman, whatever proceeds forth from being a woman, body and soul. It's connected to motherhood, physical and spiritual, and the same for men on, on their end. Okay, we've got to wrap things up here. Oh, so much good stuff. All right. But we, we started a little late, so okay. I'll go like maybe five more minutes. Then we'll take a break, right? And then we'll have Q&A. So the first fatal mistake that the radical feminists made was to say, I can be as good as a man. Can they? No. no. 
Why not? Because they're not men. We can do what men do, but we can't be what men are. So we're never going to do it as good as men. Okay. And when women stop using their feminine gifts and being women, this is what happens. It's what Archbishop Bergoglio said when Pope Ben... Uh, Pope, what, who's the Pope? Francis, Francis thank you. <laughs> Now, this sounds really harsh, like he's, like he's beating up on men, but he's not. He's saying that we need the feminine principle in the world. We don't just need the masculine principle in the world. And women just don't understand this. Woman is the figure that embraces society, the figure that contains it, the mother of the community. The woman has the gift of maternity, of tenderness. Men have the gift of male tenderness, too. And if all these riches are not integrated or not even used... A religious community not only transforms into a chauvinist society, but one that is austere, hard, and hardly sacred. Wow. And I think part of what he's talking about here is that if we only have objective truth, things can get hard, right? The bottom line, the facts, to do, to do. If, if that's mitigated with subjective truth, not, again, not that men can't do subjective truth and women can't do objective truth very well, men are just better at it, right? Okay. So we need both. How many sources of revelation are there? All right. Give the others a chance. Do you know what I mean by revelation? Not the last book of the Bible. Not Morgan Freeman's company. Um, What else? Um, not, Not Marian apparitions. Seminary and Greg knows. See, this is seminary and Greg. We need to teach our people because I've, I've, I've started to realize that folks have no idea when we say the two sources of revelation. This means this is everything about our faith. Um, if we don't know that our faith is a revealed faith, it's something that's been just given to us and what those two sources of revelation are, we think this is a democracy. We're going to vote on truth and everything's just going to keep on changing and changing. And we just thought, what is the culture doing now? Oh yeah, we have to do that too. It's like, no, we, God has given us a revelation. Uh, what are the two sources? Oh, what are the sources of revelation? <laughs> Scripture and tradition. Okay, this is what we have traditionally heard, and it's true. The Bible and the church, right? And these are authorities in our lives. These aren't like, take it or leave it. Um, well, you know, I don't like that part of the Bible, or let's write a new Bible, or... Let's, let's take parts of the Bible out because they don't match today or, you know, the church is whatever we want it to be. No, 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 no. We, we know what these things are. Okay. There is a third source of revelation. I'm not a heretic. Seminary Greg, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I had Dr. Waldstein and Dr. Peter Kreeft approve this chart, Okay. Because I kept hearing, I was like a nature child, or a total little nature child. I was going to be an ornithologist. That's birds. Um, And for me, before I knew God, it was the most beautiful, innocent, incredible, endless thing I could imagine. Like, I could just get lost in nature. I'd just go up for height, my my bird walks, and wow, you know. And then I entered the comments, studied theology, and they never talked about creation. It was just like, be a good steward, or 
stuff like that. Like, God created it at the end. Use it however you want. Try to be a good steward if you can. It's like, oh, I thought there was more to it than that. That's so sad. Anyway, there's a really long story to this chart. <laughs> but sacred nature is also part of our revelation. Okay, and if we only talk about scripture and tradition, which, which part of the Trinity, which member of the Trinity are we missing? The Father. Do we not have a crisis in fatherhood today? And people don't even want to call God Father, right? Oh, because we had abusive, neglected fathers, so we need to cross. How about redeeming the image of Father and meaning of Father? And how did you know you had a bad father? You must have an idea of what a good father is, right? God's that good father. Let him heal you. Let him heal your image of fatherhood. Um, and is creation feminine or masculine? Is nature feminine or masculine? Feminine. So if you want to get rid of the father, you're going to get rid of the feminine too. You want to trash creation? You're going to disrespect the father at the same time. The masculine and feminine rise and fall together. We are in this together. Okay? Anyway, there's a lot more that I could teach like a whole day on this chart. <laughs> but anyway, okay. Huh. Yes. We will never understand theology of the body unless we understand that first column. We will never understand humane vitae if we don't understand that first column. We will never understand laudato si if we don't understand that first column. Okay. All right. Okay, so... Maybe, maybe like five more minutes, yes? Okay, 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 we'll, we'll go fast. I was, I was dragging, I don't know why, okay. I was reading the New York Times bestseller called Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome. Anybody heard of that? Okay, so it was written by a millennial um, who decided, I love you guys, oh, you're awesome. Um, I'm living with a millennial sister right now. She's 26, she's so cool. Okay, um, Okay, so this millennial, she decided to try 30 religions before she turned 30. And so she went to these services and whatnot. The last service she went to was a Wiccan service, which, um, you know, is witchcraft, right? There's no, like, white witchcraft. It's all, even if people are deceived in it, it's, the roots are witchcraft. There's no such thing. So um, it's not just a pleasant, happy nature religion. It's witchcraft. So they had a priest and a priestess. They worshipped a god and a goddess. Nice and neat, right? Even Stephen, right? And it struck me, we don't have that in Christianity. I mean, I knew that, but it was like I was looking at this Wiccan service. And my first reaction was, our god is asymmetrical, <laughs> right? And I never really, really thought about that before. We have a God who revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, and we have an all-male priesthood. So that means our God is kind of asymmetrical. And of course, he's not just our God. He's God, right? Um, and we just want to make, be clear here that it would be easy to think that God is male because we use he for God, and we use Father and Son because that's how he revealed himself. Um, and the fact that Jesus in his humanity is male and still is. He's still got his male body in heaven. Okay. Oh. So, oh, this is... Pope John Paul II and all of creation. Okay. Um, so the Catechism of the Catholic Church helps us out here by saying, 
God in his divinity, however, transcends the human distinction between the sexes. He's neither man nor woman, he is God. He also transcends human fatherhood and motherhood. No one is father like God is father. Okay? So we're not saying men are superior to women because God revealed himself as father and son. No. He is father and son in a transcendent way. But why did Jesus come as male? It's a big question, right? Um, So when men look at a crucifix, they see their own body there, right? I see a human body, but it's not my body. I'm a woman, right? Um, So this tells men a lot about how they are called to love, to lay down their lives for their bride, for the church. And when a woman sees this, she sees her counterpart, right? Um, So what should my response be to that kind of love? How can I find my feminine identity in Jesus Christ when he's a dude? (laughs) Right? It's easy for a man to find his identity in Christ. Right? Both males. How do I find my identity? It's in relationship. Of course, the man is in relationship to Christ too. But there's more identification between the man and Jesus than there is between a woman and Jesus. Right? But we're still still human. There's only one human nature. Two different expressions of it, but one human nature. So it's in our relationship to our counterpart, ladies. One thing I couldn't understand when I was a radical feminist is like, but we're supposed to love men. And I do like like men, like I'm attracted to them. So, And half of these feminist ladies were married to a guy. And I'm like, but they hated men. I was like, I, <laughs> I, do you just like love one man, your husband? They, some, some of these ladies didn't even like their own husbands. I was like, like I don't, I saw this with my own two eyes, right? So we women are supposed to love men, right? So we're in relationship with, that's why I think we have a better deal, ladies. We get to be the bride. Okay. Um, So the feminists of the 60s and 70s were probably the first to seriously ask, why is Jesus male? It's a great question, isn't it? Could he have come as a woman? No. Could he have come androgynously? No. And the answer's so beautiful. So we have to stick with, um, what Scott Hahn calls the holy huh? You read something in the Bible or something in our faith, and you're like, huh? Look, like, stick, keep asking that question. It might take you years to find the answer. The answer is going to be beautiful because God's answers are always beautiful. There really is no awful truth. It might be a hard truth, but it's not awful. It's beautiful. Okay, so here's the reason why Jesus is male and we have an all-male priesthood. The masculine, the bridegroom, is becoming a victim for the feminine. This isn't about power trips and rights and justice. Those are the wrong categories. This is a love story. We're in a love story, right? we, We like to think in human rights and reductive power structures. and We need that for our human living and politics and whatnot. But if we're talking about the overall overarching narrative of what the heck is life all about, it's a love story. It's a marriage. That's what it's all about. Okay? Otherwise, it's this endless battle of the sexes, right? It's never going to end. Okay. At the first Passover, did the lamb sacrificed have to be male or female? Male. See if the angel of death passes over your house. You use a female lamb. 
okay? It's not that hard, okay? <laughs> you, you just do what God says. He tells you, and you do it. And maybe, maybe later you understand. My, we always want to go deeper and understand our faith better, right? Um, okay, so we, we don't actually even get to make this stuff up. God's revelation is reality. Revelation is stuff we couldn't know on our own without help from God. I mean, our reason comes from God, too. But we can go very far on reason alone, but at a certain point, we're going to need God's help, right? To, to um, know stuff that we couldn't know without his help. That's, that's my definition of revelation. So Christianity, Catholicism, is not a religion. It's reality. Either you believe that God really did all this stuff in history and really told us the truth, or else we should be looking. So we should keep. We should go somewhere else and, and look for what's really true. If this is just a religion, and you have your religion, I have my religion. Okay. Only God gets to tell us how to worship God. Okay. And only when we follow the divine order does, is beauty revealed to us. There's even divine order in the Trinity. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Father. Um, this is Rublev's famous Trinity picture. And the Son and the Spirit are even deferring to the Father. They're nodding their head. Even though they're co-equal and consubstantial and co-eternal, the Father is still the source. We don't understand how that works. There was never a time when the Son did not exist. And yet, the Father's the source. So there's order in the Trinity. Do you think we can do a little order? Keep a little order if the Trinity can? And by the way, guys are really good at the divine order. Women suck at the divine order, okay? We are really bad at order. Okay? So we really need men to, to keep that. That's why we need the Father in the family. The order. I don't just mean, you know, it's supper time. I don't mean that. I mean the order of, of creation and reality. And there's so much more to that that I can't explain to you right now. But we really need men for that. Um, okay. What do you think, Sandra? I can't, I'm going to wrap it up. Look at this. There's like one and a half. Like, no, no not, even, not, not even a half. Half a page? Yes? Okay. All right. So, okay. 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 So... This priest uh, that I met at the Theology of Body Institute from Vermont, I have been trying to understand for a long time. See, guys, we're not just mysterious to you. You're mysterious to us. We don't understand you. They try to say men are so simple. They're not. Ladies, are men simple? No. We, no, we don't understand you either. So we keep trying. <laughs> um, and I kind of just, I'd ask my priest friends. Okay, so I have my... Theology of the Body priest friends, my priest friends, my Theology of the Body lay guy friends, and then my lay guy friends. There's like a tier system. And I've been asking all of them, like, how do you be receptive to the Lord? And how do you be receptive in prayer? Because it's easy for us women. It's so easy. But how do you do it? And I got some kind of interesting answers, but nothing was really satisfying to me. I, again, I knew I hadn't found it until this summer, this priest from Vermont, Father John, it was like a prophecy. He talks real slow. And <laughs> he's very contemplative. And he said, Sister, bridal imagery does not resound in the heart of a man. 
He said the same affirmation that women get from the bridegroom is what men get from the father. Not to say that there's not a beautiful bride-bridegroom relationship, but men need to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said, then a man can take on the world like the son took on the world and give the bride what she needs. <laughs> and when I heard that, I knew that was it. Does that resound in your hearts, guys? Does that make sense to the guys in this room? Guys are not really forthcoming. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're going to they're, they're, they're think about it. <laughs> Can you say it again? As slow, as slow as father says it? <laughs> No, guys have, no this is, guys have to think about stuff. They, and they won't commit to anything unless they've thought about it. Women are like permanent volunteers. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jonah, okay. We moved our Theology of Body course from PBM because Satan flushed us out with three inches of poop. Raw sewage from the city. That's the only Theology of the Body he has. So he, he was very upset that we were doing TOB. And he tried to flush us out, so we, our, our basement was closed for months, hazmat stuff came in, whatever. So we moved down the street where there were no snacks. There were no snacks at St. Charles Church. So immediately, Jonah thought, I have to go make brownies for everyone. And I said the next, I said, guys, how many of the guys here thought, oh, I have to go make brownies for everyone? <laughs> they're like, no, not really. A lot of the ladies were like, I have to feed people. They were thinking about the food, you know. Okay. So men won't commit to some, sometimes I have the guys stand up and I ask them if they'll commit to protecting our dignity and all this stuff. And they, they don't say yes right away. And the ladies are like, <sighs> and I'm like, no, this is good. They're not going to say yes. When a man gives his word, he's going to do it. So he's going to think about it first. You know, it's good. You don't want a guy to just go, yes. <laughs> all right, so you want me to repeat it? <laughs> okay. Bridal imagery does not resound in the heart of a man. The same affirmation women get from the bridegroom is what men get from the father. Or, or like initially, they need to hear this. Men need to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then a man can take on the world like the son of God took on the world and give the bride what she needs. So for men, he said, it's more filial sonship, right? in imitation and identification with Jesus. So like Christopher West, you know how he prays sometimes? He'll like turn around, he's got the tabernacle there, and he'll kneel, and he'll be like in front of the Father like this. Yeah. You know, like receiving from the Father, right? Okay. <clears throat> so fathers must affirm their sons and not withhold their approval. Sons have to know that they're man enough, good enough, otherwise they'll spend their whole life trying to prove themselves Seeking their father's approval, he may be dead. The guy may be 70. I've met old men still seeking their father's approval who for some reason, for whatever reason, withheld it so that they can be the father and husband they need to be. And I really believe this is one of the unspoken consequences of the fall. See, it's not there in the Bible that this, when, when Adam's relationship with the father got ruptured, but I think the silence speaks very eloquently. Okay, all right, last page, last half of a page. All right. But in the end, our God is not asymmetrical. Okay? 
So this gold thing is not the sun, it's God. The earth is not the earth, it's the... What? Oh, sorry. 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 Um, so the earth represents all the created universes, okay? Um, we don't have a god and a goddess. We don't have priests and priestesses in our church because we are in a marriage covenant with God. Yeah, this is how it works for us. God and humanity, the Father and creation, Christ and the church, Jesus and Mary, the bride and the bridegroom, the priest and the people, the masculine principle and the feminine principle. God reveals himself as the masculine principle in relation to humanity, creation, church, married, bride, people, feminine principle. I will send you this PowerPoint too, if you give me your email. Um, so God's relationship to us would have been unequal, but he raised us to the status of a marriage, this includes men and women, in a marriage covenant to which the bride's consent to which the bride herself is indispensable. This is the bride's authority to say yes or no to God. This is the authority of the bride. Will you say yes? All the women, yes! <laughs> Guys? So, this is called the nuptials of the king. It's a beautiful mosaic in Rome. The new covenant is a marriage covenant Every divine liturgy, every mass, is a wedding liturgy, which requires the authority, power, gifts, influence, mission, and presence of the male bridegroom, Christ, and the authority, power, gifts, influence, mission, and presence of the female, the bride, the church. And without the authority of the bride, there is no covenant. So I went from being a radical feminist to a theology of the body, theology of the body feminist, which means I'm more radical than ever. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Okay. Real quick, here's a few books that you might be interested in. Ratzinger did this incredible book called Mary, the Church at the Source. She is the church, okay? Um, women in the church can get this for about $300. It's out of print. You can get it on Amazon for $300. Bucks. <laughs> um, women's Sex in the Church is by women scholars, most of them who uh, had a conversion to Catholicism or back to Catholicism. J.P. Two's Dignity and Vocation of Women. The Flight from Woman. This is an incredible book by a German-Canadian named Carl Stern. Uh, if you like philosophy and psycho, he was a psychoanalyst. Um, he wrote this in the 50s when Freud was still alive, I believe. And um, it is profound. He was a Jewish convert to Catholicism. And um, he talks about this flight from the feminine principle in our world. Um, men and women both get it, trying to get away from the feminine principle. Um, this is um, how the sexual revolution hijacked the women's movement. This is a wonderful book. If you want to understand what are, what, is, what are the, is the feminine authority gives power and influence in the church, this is the book for you. Uh, the Christopher West CDs, Woman God's Masterpiece. And then this is the definitive book on um, why no women priests, to put it negatively. Um, Sister Sarah Butler 
was a, she's a theologian at the top level, like the highest level of international theologian you can be. She helped the Anglicans get women's ordination. And then she had a 180, and she realized why that's impossible. It's an ontological impossibility. So she wrote this incredible book. She's one of my heroes, and I actually got to meet her, so I have my picture with her now. Because um, <laughs> I did the one you too. Um, that's my book, He Speaks to You. It's a daily book for women. And then I have another book that you can get online only. It's also a PDF. It's what I use in my courses. It's a 22-chapter, um, What Does It Mean to Be Human? Life's Questions. It's very conversational. Um, life's Questions and Theology of the Body's Answers. 